Welcome to the Rediscovering Your Creative Self podcast, where you get a weekly dose of inspiration and motivation for your creative practice. Problem solved. Did you ever work on something in your creative practice and for some reason, it's just not working? And you don't know why it's not working. You've thought about it and every possibility you looked at the composition and said okay you know is it too central is it not dynamic enough do i need to angle things more you looked at the edges if it's a painting and you said to yourself do i have too many closed forms so there's no loss of edge that may bring the subject into the background in an interesting, maybe even mysterious kind of way. Or maybe it's a drawing and you're looking at the line quality. Is it gestural enough? Does it have a lyrical way in which it expresses itself? You start to look at color and say, have I put too much color down? Because sometimes when you say, want this piece to be colorful. It is the relationship to the lack of color to color that makes something colorful, actually. So in other words, if you've got color everywhere, lots of hue, lots of vibrant color, it no longer becomes impactful because it's almost canceled itself out with too much color. I like to use the analogy of it's like, you know, trying to scream to talk to somebody in a loud concert. You're just adding to the noise. But if you're in a very quiet library or church and you scream, you're going to get an impact, okay? You're going to make a statement. Let's just say that. So when we're looking at our art, we have all of these kind of things that we can look at. And like we talked about line quality and, and um, values or other things that we can look at. Are my values so minute in their changes that it's not impactful? Maybe I have to cluster things a little bit more. More impact. One third rule. A little more darks to bring out those lights or vice versa. So we have all these little things, these elements of art that allow us to sort of problem solve, sort of take away from the grander picture, okay, of what we're looking at and look at individual things. But what if we did that? And that's still not working. And we look at our art and we say, okay, so am I just not feeling my concept? Am I in love too much with a section of my piece and that section I'm afraid to let it go because I love it so much but it's just not supporting everything else so I got to make a change there and I don't want to is that the problem or that one section is so beautiful and everything else kind of tears it down and I need to ride that one section but to ride that one section, I need to do a lot of work on my piece to make that happen. And that 
sort of destruction of everything else is scary because you don't know if you're going to get to the place that you need to get. And sometimes in those interests, in instances, you need to really kind of trust, you know, where it's bringing you. So one way of problem solving is to focus in. Okay, so focus in on one particular thing and then look at the next particular thing. Like I said, composition, color, value, gestural quality, messages, concept. You know, we look at all those things individually. But there's other things that we can do that are more global. Okay, they are more, you know, thinking in a gr the, the, the grander thing, the pieces that sum up the parts, so to speak. And a couple things we can do is if we work very close to our work, we miss the grander picture because when we look at a picture, we have a certain cone of vision. And our cone of vision is this area that we can see like a circle. You know, if you drew a circle or if you look straight forward and you could draw a circle around where you can see from your total peripheral vision. So if I take my hand and I'm looking straight forward, how low can I put my hand and go all around my face in a circle? That's your cone of vision. And your cone of vision changes. So if you are looking very close on something, your cone of vision is limited. And the way the human eye works, we are focused on where that, you know, I always call it my our, our Superman vision, where our eyes penetrate the picture, where we're staring at. That's what we see in focus. And of course, as we move away from that cone of vision, or even within that cone of vision, as we move from that focal point, things start to get less important. That's why a lot of the, the great masters used to um, have sharp, more sharp edges and realism and contrast and more hue and the areas of focus, okay, the focal point of their picture that they chose to be the focal point. And other things become much more loose, much more expressive. And yet when you stand back, the painting itself looks very representational. So multiple areas of focus is not really how um, vision biology sort of works. So we'll get, let's get back to that grander scope that we were talking about. So if we step back from our picture, by stepping back, we then change our relationship to the picture and we change our cone of vision of that picture. Our cone of vision now can encompass the entire picture. So having the ability to stand back and look at our picture in that way is helpful. Another thing we can do is we can squint. When we squint, we take out a lot of the details that's going on in our picture. And we can see when I squint, what stands out in my picture. And if that stands out and it's not important, then you need to change your hierarchy of your picture. Because really the things that should stand out are the things that are most important and things that are most important support what it is you're trying to say in that picture. So stepping back. The other thing is to use a mirror and using a mirror behind you so that you can see your picture 
flip-flopped by changing the orientation, whether your picture is upside down or flopped, you then change what's been recorded in your brain when you're working on something for so long, you don't see things anymore. Kind of reminds me of my husband and my daughter when I, you know, when they say, I can't find something. And I say, it's in the closet and I can't see it because they're used to seeing what's in that closet and they're not seeing the fact that I had put something in a different location. And then I usually have to go downstairs and then go, see, it's right here. And my daughter would say, I can't believe I didn't see that. You know, that happens all the time. Actually, magicians use that um, trick. You know, they will orient people to seeing things in a certain way and then use that way of focusing in and seeing something to create their tricks. So being able to see something upside down or being able to see something flopped is really helpful. It will stick things out. The other thing is you can use something uh, called a color gel in red. Red, if you look through the color gel, you will see values instead of the colors. I mean, another way of doing that is to take a picture of your work and then change it to grayscale. And that can show you what's really punching. And if you think about value, value is really the understructure of everything, right? It is what holds everything together. The color is just kind of like the beautiful icing, the beautiful pattern on top. But if you got to have structure, you got to have the right value there. That's not working. That's what could be wrong is you need to change the value of the colors that you just put on top. The other thing um, that you can actually do too is use something called a reduction glass. A reduction glass is a device that will take what it is that you have and reduce it to the small picture that fits inside of something that looks like a magnifying glass, but it's the opposite. If you have a studio where you really cannot step that far back because you work large, that can be also a helpful thing. So anytime that you're working, you have some of these strategies. But even then, when you are, you've focused in and you looked at all of the, you know, the things possible of what could be wrong, you've checked your values and your color and you've done, and you've really just exhausted all of your little tricks in your bag of what possibly you can do next. There's a last option. And that la last option is to put your piece aside. When you get so focused in on something, it's hard to see outside of that thought process. And when you put it aside and not focus on that piece anymore and start working on another piece, you may be consciously not thinking about that piece, but your brain is. When your brain has a problem, it can't stop. It continues to work on something behind the scenes, so to speak. One of the things in my art practice is I work on multiple pieces, and it's for different reasons, actually. Um, being a mixed media artist, when I'm working with lots of um, layers, 
and those layers need different drying times. It's important that I spend the time working on multiple pieces because I need those different pieces to have the full ability to dry. And so one of the things that I've noticed on working on different pieces is that as I'm working on this new piece, there's something because I'm, it's a different problem solving practice on a different piece is something comes to light, something I wouldn't have thought of before. And somehow it gives me an aha moment how to solve the piece that I was so struggling with prior. When you work on things in a sequence or simultaneously, one thing after another, maybe you were out doing a lecture or you're teaching a class, things that came up during that class, maybe you're watching a film or a video, everything that you do gets absorbed in your brain and it makes connections. So as you work on a different piece, you are making some connections with that piece that are now being connected to the piece you are also in the process of working on. The things you learned from everything that you are working on and everything you expose yourself to all work in tandem. The moment you have that realization, you'll realize it's important to know what you're exposing yourself to because it's going to help you problem solve. And then what I find that when I let something go, it could be a day, it could be two days, it could be a week. I end up finding a solution to that problem that I could have never thought of before. I kind of feel like it's, if I, I use an analogy. It's like, and if I'm working on the piece, I'm struggling. I'm, it's like I'm trying to get into a house and I'm knocking on the door. Start by knocking. And then I'm banging on the door, okay? And then I'm trying to jiggle the lock. And then I'm using my shoulder to try to bang that door down. Then I'm kicking, okay? Now, now I'm getting bruised. Now I'm getting discouraged. Can't seem to get that darn door down. So when you put something aside and you step away and you walk back from that house, you start looking and you walk around and you say to yourself, hmm, on the second floor, there's an open window. Maybe if I find a way to climb up to that, you know, maybe porch rooftop, I could stand on the roof, go through the window. That's my solution. There's the answer to my problem. But I'm never going to see the answer to that or even journey, take the attempt on that journey. If I'm sitting there saying to myself, the only way to get in this house is if I bang down that door and it's a really strong door and I'm not capable of doing that. So when I journey and step back from the problem, I can see it from a different light. And then I start asking myself different questions that I could not have asked myself at the door. 
I start saying, how can I climb? What new tools do I need to get to that second floor? And how do I open the window when I get there? So that's just a different way of trying to see a problem by stepping back, giving yourself some space. Okay. But not giving yourself some space where you say, I don't paint for two weeks, you know, no work on other things. By working on other things, you maintain a flow, but at the same time, you're allowing your brain to take in different information, to step away from the door. Okay. Step away from the door. That's what you need to tell yourself when you're getting really struggled and you've done everything else. Step away from the door and let's see if there's another entry, another way in another way to problem solve. So with that, I'd like you to think about this week is if you're struggling with something, is there another way to get in by stepping back using some of these tools we talked about? Or if you're not struggling on something, if there's a way you can introduce into your practice something that will remind you to step away from the door. So if you have, you're like me, I love words. I love little sayings and things that I pin up in my studio. Step away from the door could be the message to you. You know, something that reminds you, okay, I need to put this aside. I need to work on something else and trust the fact that something will come into the process and I will be able to solve this. So with that, have a great week, and as always, create from the heart. This audio series is part of my Navigating the Labyrinth of the Creative Mind Patreon endeavor. The site uniquely intermixes self-reflection and personal storytelling with exploratory mixed-media techniques and expressive approaches to art making, elevating the creative consciousness and guiding each person on his or her own path to discovering the creative spark that resides within. Check us out at www.patreon.com slash Lisa L. Sear, and that's spelled C-Y-R.